Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, perfect timing now that I started recording. What's that smell? What? Your patas. My patas? All right, well, I'm recording something now. Can you get out, please? Close the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't want it locked. Just go. Welcome to the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. They're a bunch of guys who ain't never played the game, and they never got the girls in high school, and they just want to get in the game. With your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. See, the thing is, you guys look at me, you see the backwards hat, the uh, gray socks, the funky outfit, and you say, now this guy's a chump, am I right? No. F-ing geek. A, a f-ing geek. Only on the VSIN Podcast Network. Oh, the things that I got to deal with doing this thing, huh? All right, welcome into another edition of the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. We got a good show on tap for this Friday, January 21st. Uh, joining us this week, Dieter Kurtenbach out of the Bay Area, although physically located in Chicago because he also covers the 49ers on the side. So he's out there for the 49ers playoff match with the Green Bay Packers. He's going to be with us. We'll actually talk a little 49ers for you football fans out there like myself. Uh, We're also going to discuss at length the Golden State Warriors and the issues that the Warriors have uh, been dealing with for the last, I I keep saying a month, it's a little over a month now, the the problems that have persisted for the Golden State Warriors. But before we talk to Dieter, wanted to cover a couple of topics, mainly around uh, the awards, right? Because we've seen a pretty tumultuous stretch uh, in terms of injury, in terms of play, I guess tumultuous sounds negative, but it, it, it's just this MVP race to me has started to now take shape. For those who read the work in Point Spread Weekly, I wrote a little bit about it this week, right? Perfect timing. The day before Joel Embiid, uh, actually, no, it was the day of that we actually released the article. I wrote it the day before. Uh, the day that Joel Embiid becomes a 50, uh, drops 50 points, if I could speak, and then, of course, goes on to become a very short shot to win MVP. Uh, right about how, you know, he was the value play. But th- th- regardless, you know, this isn't about, hey, man, I look at what I did. No, this is just about this awards race and this race for MVP. It started to take the shape of last season where you had guys fall off with injury. And it was just this mishmash of like, well, this guy's got a case. This guy's got a case. And at the end of the day, four or five guys could probably win this. And if you were to tell me when the dust settles, if you were to come in from the future and be like, hey, man, DeMar DeRozan won MVP. I'd be like, all right, makes sense. Or, hey, man, Joel Embiid won MVP. Or Nikola Jokic won MVP. A- any one of Nikola Jokic, Steph Curry, Joel Embiid, DeMar DeRozan, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think every single one of those guys has a legitimate case of this award at this point of the season. So this is what I really wanted to touch on before we got with Dieter. And I also wanted to update really quickly. There, there's like a couple of things topics-wise that I wanted to touch on. But l- let's focus on the award. So first off, 
this has now persisted for Steph Curry for a while. And I think we're at the point where if you're shopping around the MVP market and you're looking for value, or if you're just wondering, is the market accurately priced at this point right now? My argument is unequivocally no. Uh, Steph Curry, I do not believe, should be the favorite to win the MVP at this point right now. And I, and I realize that markets like this, futures markets, right, awards markets, uh, index props like this, they're, they're built on liability. So there is a point where Steph Curry is the favorite because there is some liability probably built up on him. And certain shops don't want to build that back. But shortest price out there, DraftKings, is at plus 180 at Steph Curry. Other spots have him a little over, at 2-1, two to one, two, uh, plus 250, depending on where you shop. But if you look at what Steph Curry has kind of slogged through over the last month, it, it is now troublesome, I think. And it's actually, it, we're, we're getting to two months. Again, I just, I just corrected myself. We're getting to two months now on this slump for Steph Curry and what he has been on. So to, to reiterate, last 22 games for Steph Curry, this is since November 30th, 24.4 points per game. But we're talking about a field goal percentage from the floor of just 38.5%. He's shooting 35% on 12.5 three-point attempts per game. Uh, and the other numbers, right? Five rebounds, 5.4 assists. It just, it's not going well for Steph Curry. If we're talking about season long numbers, if these persisted throughout the year, we're talking career lows in terms of three point shooting and effective field goal percentage for Steph Curry. So this is now as we approach, and again, so this is since November 30th. So as we get, it's, it's January 21st. So as we approach January 30th, my mom's birthday, by the way, happy birthday, mom. Um, this is now, I think, to the point where Curry doesn't deserve to be the favorite. Like, I'm sorry, he doesn't. He doesn't have the statistical output that some of these other guys have in terms of the resume. His play has fallen off now for 22 games, which, you know, 22 games is nothing to sneeze at. 22 games of an 82-game schedule is over a quarter of the schedule. We're talking 26, if you want to get technical, 26.8% of the schedule at this point of the regular season. So, to me, while Curry has a resume and while Curry should, you know, be up there on the list... I honestly don't think he should be the favorite at this point right now. And while Giannis Antetokounmpo, we'll get to him momentarily, has a case for this, I wrote about this in Points Per Weekly because I honestly believe it. What Joel Embiid has done in terms of on the court, what Joel Embiid has had to deal with off the court with his uh, former running mate in Ben Simmons, we'll go former running mate because it seems that's the direction that this is heading at this point right now, and what he's had to deal with in terms of having COVID and missing time, Joel Embiid, I think, is dragging along a team uh, that, if he wasn't on it, is probably... Ugh. Are they even a play-in team, the Philadelphia 76ers, if Joel Embiid is not on the floor? Like, I think that's like a real question to ask there when it comes to the makeup of this team. But for those who don't know, in terms of keeping up with Joel Embiid, like, yes, the 50-point game against the Orlando Magic is going to make headlines. And by the way, Miss me with the, oh, well, a lot of teams and a lot of players have done well against the Orlando Magic. Pay attention to what Embiid has been doing for a long time now. Embiid, if you go back, will use almost the identical criteria for Steph Curry. Let's go back to November 27th. He's averaging 30.5 points per game. Uh, let's see. Sorry, I lost it in my notes. 11 rebounds, 51% shooting from the floor, right? And that's immediately after he comes back from the COVID absence. Three games after he comes back, which is when the play starts to pick up. So over his last 21 contests, we're talking about 31.5 points per game over 21 contests on 53.6% shooting. He's averaging 10.5 rebounds, four assists per game, by the way, and 1.2 blocks per contest. Joel Embiid. He has been absolutely nuts. If you go back to... November, no, excuse me, let's see, double check my notes here. I want to make sure I get this accurate for all of you people out there. Um, I should write these down better, by the way. Then I say write. I have, t I have typed them out. Um, over the last 12 games, he has scored at least 30 points in 11 of those 12 games. The only time in which he did not score 30 or more points was the matchup against the Boston Celtics, in which he took over in the fourth quarter and won that game all on his own. And Bede has been absolutely incredible. He is dragging along a Philadelphia 76ers team that has really little offensive personnel outside of him. Hell, at the beginning of the Orlando Magic game, at one point, was it, was it like was it like Embiid had 20 of the 22 points for Philadelphia in the first quarter? Like, they had nothing without Joel Embiid on the floor. And if you look at some of the numbers with Embiid on the court, off the court, right, how we like to see and get an idea of what these teams perform like, 
when Joel Embiid's off the court, Philadelphia 76ers get outscored by 1.8 points every 100 possessions. Their offensive rating is 109.6. Their defensive rating over that same stretch is 111.4. Nothing to write home about at all. It's not the worst team in the world, but it's definitely an average team that is fighting, I think, for a play-in spot if we're talking about the makeup outside of Joel Embiid. And then you get to the numbers when he's on the court. Plus 7.5 net rating, 114.5 offensive rating. Defense drops to 107. He's just a difference maker, man. And if they are going to fight and claw and find their way to the point where we're talking about they get, I don't know, let's go with a top four seed in the Eastern Conference, right? At this point right now, that's an MVP resume for me, man. And currently, as it stands, they're fifth. They are 20, what are they, 26 and 18, just surpassed the Cleveland Cavaliers. Cavs are sliding a little bit here. Embiid's been great. And Embiid deserves to be that single-digit shot. And was he was two weeks ago, he was 50-1 to one to win the award. And just at the beginning of this week, he was 16-1 to one to win the award. But he deserves every bit of it at this point right now. But this is also just more about the market itself. And I think just some chaos in terms of what's happening. If you've listened to this podcast, I'm not going to make the case again for Nikola Jokic. Right? I've made the case before. I will say, and we kind of expanded on this last week, but now that John Morant is in the range of 8-1, to one, I mean, look, I don't... If you're comparing John Morant's resume to Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, right? Guys whose teams literally rely on them and cannot do anything without them. And I'm sorry, but Morant's, Morant's resume just doesn't stack up to these other guys, right? So, look, this race is going to be great. Uh, by, by in Wednesday, we had an incredible night for a lot of these MVP candidates. It was insane what these guys did on Wednesday, right? Because Joel Embiid gets all the headlines because Joel Embiid dropped 50 points on the Orlando Magic on Wednesday. But some of the performances we saw, and I tweeted this out that day, I mean, if you look at this, that day, Giannis, 33 points, 15 rebounds, 7 assists on 48% shooting. Jokic had 49, 14, and 10 on 64% shooting. Embiid, as we know, 50, 12, and 2 on 73.9% shooting. Morant, 33, 8, and 14 on 44.4% shooting. And DeRozan, 32, and 7, 2, <laughs> 32, and 7 on 58.3% shooting. And, and those are those five guys. I use those five guys because those are five of the top seven options to win MVP. The other two, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, they weren't playing. But this race is going to be great. This is going to be absolutely fantastic. And any one of these guys has a legitimate case. But if you find yourself wondering why Joel Embiid has shot to the top, it's not because he had a good game against the Orlando Magic. It's because he's been carrying Philadelphia since he came back from COVID. And he's been absolutely tremendous. So, with that out of the way, two things to discuss very quickly. Uh, One, uh, I did make one more future bet. And this is for Defensive Player of the Year. Bet Jaron Jackson Jr. at 301. And man, you know what sucks? Because... So to give you the backstory on this, I texted Mitch Moss, uh, was it the end of last week or beginning of this week? You know, it was, yeah, you know, it was the end of last week because it was when we had Drew Hill Hill on the podcast. It was doing a lot more uh, Memphis Grizzlies research. And, you know, what stuck out was like, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr., obviously solid offensive player, stretches the floor. We know what he does as a player offensively. But, man, what he has meant for the Memphis Grizzlies defense is very unheralded. And so I kind of started to dive in a little bit, right? And then you look and you realize, you know, when he's on the court, like this, the difference in between the numbers here, uh, for, for those who need some uh, refreshing on these, Jaron Jackson, defensive rating for the Memphis Grizzlies when he's on the court, 106.3. When he's off, 113.3. So we're talking about a seven-point difference in their defensive rating without him on the court. By comparison's sake, Rudy Gobert, Defensive rating 105.4 when he's on the court, 115.7 when he's off. So that's a 10.3 point difference. And Draymond Green, who is the favorite right now to win the award, there's only a one point difference in defensive rating when he is on the court and off the court for the Golden State Warriors. And it goes past that, right? Like Jaron Jackson, if you're talking about defensive rebounding, right? Not great. Only 14.6% in terms of defensive rebounding rate, but he's got the he's got the better blocking percentage or percentage of his team's blocks up to this point. 3.9%. It's better than Gobert. It's better than Green. His steal rate, 1.5%, is better than Gobert. It's a little worse than Draymond Green. But it, all of this is to be said is at 300 to 1 or at 490 to 1, which he was when I texted Mitch Moss, but then Boyd pulled all the 490 to 1 long shots off the board. You can tell I'm a little bad. I mean, 300 to 1 is not bad, especially given where the market has shifted, where a lot of spots are now down to like 100 to 1 on them. Um, but still, 
this is just at a price like four ninety to one, which a couple of guys like Ian McDonald have. Um, shout out Ian, by the way. I don't know if you listen to the pod, but shout you out nonetheless. Um, or, you know, three hundred to one is solid, but a little jaded on that. But watch out for Jackson. You know, I've seen him mentioned, bantied about a little bit in terms of uh, hey, look out, defensive player of the year, maybe. I just think when you look at it, it's comparable. The Memphis Grizzlies are front and center. It's going to help with his voting. It's going to help with the exposure. But he's been absolutely tremendous. So, last topic here before we get to uh, Dieter Kurtenbach so we can talk about the Golden State Warriors. Something to watch as we move forward. And I, I am fascinated by this as we progress up into the All-Star break. Since December 20th, if I were to ask you who the third best defensive team in the NBA was over this stretch of games the last month, I don't think anybody would probably guess <clears throat> the Charlotte Hornets. But that is the case. Since December 20th, the Hornets 106.6 points allowed per 100 possessions in non-garbage time minutes. They were, remember, they were 30th in defensive efficiency in the 32 games prior to this run. So, I keep wondering, like, man, like, this is a pretty good turnaround. But is it a turnaround? And I love statistics and numbers like this, and the tracking data is incredible. And it does seem that this run of really good defensive play from the Charlotte Hornets is fraudulent as f***. According to Cleaning the Glass, if you factor in the quality of shot the Hornets have allowed during the defensive surge, they would rank 29th in effective field goal percentage had their opponents shot league average. So when that manifests itself, I have no idea, right? No idea when that's going to manifest itself in terms of the defensive regression, but it's pretty fascinating given how bad they were defensively and how good they are now. So, all right, let's not waste any more time. Let's talk some Warriors. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This Mother's Day, join CARE in honoring the resilience of mothers around the world. In Sierra Leone, facing one of the world's highest maternal mortality rates, one nurse named Zainab has not lost a single mother. Supported by CARE's work, Zainab's clinic has become a beacon of hope in her community. Zainab's spirit extends to CARE's work worldwide, aiming to ensure every mother's safety during childbirth. Learn more at care.org slash Mother's Day. So the story of, I think one of the biggest stories of the season has been the Golden State Warriors, and um, especially lately, given the slump that they are in. So let's discuss the Warriors in depth. Dieter Kurtenbach's nice enough to give us a couple of minutes. Bay Area News Group, sports columnist, KMBR, Lockdown Warriors podcast. Also, of course, does work with the, uh, or excuse me, covering the San Francisco 49ers. I Look, it's a basketball pod, but I got to start there because obviously we got a divisional round coming up. Uh, what are yep. your thoughts on San Francisco? I laid five earlier this week with Green Bay. I would love to get your thoughts on San Francisco. Uh, I, 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 I wouldn't bet on this game, I think, is the best option. Um, there is 
just a deep peculiarity to a contest that features Aaron Rodgers versus Jimmy Garoppolo. Like uh, it is almost a Rorschach test for how much you believe quarterbacks matter in the modern NFL, because you can make a very clear argument for the San Francisco 49ers in this game. It's going to be cold. They can play cold weather football. They haven't, but they, their style really lends itself to that sort of environment at the same time. Again, Rodgers hasn't thrown an interception since mid-November. He hasn't fumbled and lost one all year, whereas Jimmy Garoppolo has eight touchdowns and eight interceptions since that same stretch of time, since November 14th. So it, it, Packers are 30-0 and under Matt LaFleur if they win the turnover battle, and Aaron Rodgers doesn't turn it over. So I would probably right. be in on the Packers, but I feel like there's like a great backdoor cover opportunity here for, for 49ers backers because – Rodgers also just kind of gets lazy as the game goes along. He knows how awesome he is, and they just sort of coast to the finish line. And we've seen that time and time again this season from Green Bay where they get out to an early lead and their defense can't stop the run. They can't really stop anything, if we're being honest. And we just coast. You add in all the players that Green Bay could or could not be getting back, and it's just kind of a hot mess. And I was hoping that the number would go up a little bit higher to get in on San Francisco. I think it's a pretty clean line right now, and maybe if you're if you're feeling if you're feeling like you need to have some action on this game, take the over. But yes. I, I'm I'm I am perplexed at five and a half for sure. Yeah, I agree with the over sentiment. I don't think either one of these offenses is getting stopped by the other defense. And I think it seems a lot of people think like, hey, it's cold. It's going to stop. Like, no, nah, it's, it's not really going to be the case. By the way, you mentioned one of my favorite tropes I've heard all week. Uh, yeah. I, I legitimately heard. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo never played in cold weather. You never know. And it's like, oh. he's from Illinois. <laughs> I mean, I'm in Chicago right now. I'm going to drive up. I grew up in Chicago. And, and so I'm just visiting my parents and uh, uh, yeah, it's 17 degrees here. Like I, I listen, I, I live in the Bay area. I'm a bit of a Nancy when it comes to these things. Like my whole thing about leaving Chicago is I'm never shoveling snow again. Like yeah. this is no way to live. I'm getting the hell out of this thing. And I showed up and it was 17 degrees and I go, yeah, this is okay. Uh, I wouldn't want to have a jammed up shoulder or a real busted up thumb in this environment. But uh, yeah, it's like, it's like riding a bike. You get it back pretty quickly. If you've been in this environment, George Kittle's been in this environment. I mean, I'd be more concerned about Elijah Mitchell, the running back who's from Louisiana hasn't had to deal with too much bitter cold in his life, but the Niners are a big, rough physical team. Um, it's not exactly, you know, Los Angeles up in the Bay area. I think that people are putting a little bit too much stock in the temperature thing. If Jimmy Garoppolo stinks, it's not because it's seven degrees outside. It's because he kind of just stinks. Yep. Uh, oh yeah. Sunday was my favorite Jimmy Garoppolo experience, man. He's like, Oh wait, this is, this is getting too comfortable. Let's make this interesting and uh, completely imploded. Exactly. I, and honestly, you know why? Cause we'll move on to the Warriors after this. I think the most underrated thing about Jimmy Garoppolo's meltdown on Sunday, cause people are talking about the interception it's the snap before Trent Williams is set. Like, that could have cost him the game. Um, I'm so exhausted by this quarterback. <laughs> I, I, I just – I can't do it anymore. Yep. Um, I, I can understand the lot. well, I, I can't because I'm a firm believer in never prolong the inevitable. Uh, but I can, I, I suppose, give deference to the 49ers' brain trust for not running with Trey Lance this year. Uh, and it worked because they made the playoffs. I don't know how they made the playoffs considering that Rams game, but they made the playoffs. And so, hey, you had a successful season. You handed it over to Lance. Good to go. Uh, Garoppolo's gone at the end of the year for all of the reasons that we've seen on the field. And honestly, for the fact that he's got a busted up thumb and a messed up shoulder. Like, this dude can't stay healthy no matter what. They have to move on from him. But the Jimmy Garoppolo experience requires Dramamine, and uh, I'm loaded up for Saturday. Yeah, well, we we go from there to uh, actually, it's it, it, the vibes right yeah. now. Of the last month have not been that great for the Golden State Warriors. Uh, so let's talk about this. And last night, a a very disappointing performance from Golden State, losing outright to a Pacers team uh, that was just a mash unit of G League players and backup guys. No Demontis Sabonis yesterday. We know, of course, no Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, no Miles Turner, who's been out for a while, and you still lose this game outright. So I wanted to start like just the. This is this overall slump that the Golden State Warriors are in. What is your ultimate takeaway from what you've seen over the last month or so? It's been a couple of different slumps that have all just sort of run into each other. You've yeah. had Steph Curry sort of uh, giving into exhaustion a little bit. I think that there was so much 
Um, and most of this self-inflicted uh, so much with that record and the three-point record that once he finally had it, he exhaled. And it's like, well, you know, we still have months left in this <laughs> season. Maybe, you know, keep it, keep it on the up and up. Uh, and so he had been in kind of just a, a bit of a morass when it came to his play. He, he lacked the verve that he usually brings. It wasn't the same kind of push. And they went out and they beat the Suns on Christmas and Utah in Utah on New Year's Day. And I think they got a little full of themselves, right? Because Steph wasn't playing all that hot during that stretch, but it was strength in numbers and damned if this isn't the best team in the Western Conference, best team in the NBA. And then Clay is coming back and at that point, you know, 10 or so days. And they just sort of took their foot off the accelerator as a collective unit. And then Clay comes back and Clay hasn't played in two and a half years. And you would expect a little bit of rust, except Clay looks pretty good. Um, now there's still some rust, of course, but they, they kind of got high on their own supply with that. Like Clay is back. We're going to dominate. It's just a matter of when. But Draymond Green gets injured before that first Clay game. And without Draymond Green, the Warriors are a completely different beast because he does about 15 things that could not possibly be replicated on the basketball floor. And the biggest one is he covers up for everybody, no matter if they know they're making a mistake or not on both sides of the floor, just because of his basketball intelligence. So they've tried to fill that in with more Andre Guadala, but there might be a, uh, a limit on how much Andre Guadala you can actually play. They've tried to get some athleticism on the floor with Jonathan Kaminga but that also brings more fouls because he's 19 years old and playing in the NBA and at this point getting good minutes. The biggest issue for them right now is with Steph kind of getting back into his rhythm, they need to figure out how to get the two guys who held it together and held this team up in a big way offensively over the first couple of months of the season. They need to get Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole into a place where they feel comfortable with their role because Klay Thompson has come in Clay Thompson, Steve Kerr told everybody the first game, don't worry about trying to get him shots. Clay Thompson's going to find his shots. Clay Thompson is a shooter. He gets the ball. He's going to shoot it. Um, that is not necessarily what the Warriors have been preaching on offense over the first three months of the season. And so Clay is out there. He's getting his minutes. Those minutes are going to keep going up. So there's a, a, just a, a strange fluidity to that scenario. And now Jordan Poole is in a new role and he's pressing. You have Andrew Wiggins, who is oscillating between, oh, I'll be aggressive today, and I won't be aggressive this day, which is the classic Andrew Wiggins experience, but not what we had seen over the first couple of months. And just offensively, they're just not getting enough points. It's just not where it needs to be. I still think that the upside is absolutely there for this unit, but they need to, they need to get a lot more cohesive. And I guess the biggest problem is I, I don't know how they get more cohesive without Draymond Green in the picture. So um, defensively, they can do pretty much whatever they want still without Green. Uh, that is an outstanding defensive team, uh, and will only get better, of course, when Green comes back, whenever that might be. Uh, they can win games on that. They need to score more points. This has been one of the worst offenses in the NBA over the last month plus, and that's with Curry along for the ride the whole time, more or less. So um, they, they just need to figure out how to get Poole and Wiggins and Clay Thompson to play together and, hell, just get two of them at one point to play well in the same game. Because last night, all three of them were pretty much abysmal, and you can't win a game. I don't care if you're a 15 and a half point favorite against the you know Fort Wayne Mad Ants, yep. which was essentially the Pacers team. Like you can't you can't win if your two guard next to Steph Curry in whatever iteration of those three players was on the floor or multiple on the floor at the same time. If they're going to stink up the joint, so um, that that's the biggest thing. So to, to for everybody who's listening to this right now, because I think you, you'd hear this and go like, what, what's the problem? They're second in the Western Conference. Like, what, what's going on? Well, to set the scene, and it's odd that it coincides with that first matchup with Phoenix, but since that first matchup with Phoenix, they're 14 and 11 straight up. They were only 10 and 15 against the spread. You've talked about their offense. According to Cleaning the Glass, which sorts out the non-garbage time minutes, they were 27th since that yeah. game in offensive efficiency. And that's a really big problem. So kind of wanted to take your points like one step at a time. The first one for me is Steph Curry, because – so the the day of that Suns game, I drew the ire of many a Warriors fan because I tweeted out essentially like, look, like this Warriors team's really good. But if you remember in that first game in the fourth quarter, the offense completely bogged down. Steph didn't have anything, and thus they didn't score. And I was like, look, it's a good team currently constructed, but they need Clay. They need another guy out there that's able to create and shoot and take a load off of Curry. Oh boy, right. the Warriors fans did not like that. Like <laughs> it took off a lot more than I thought it was, but like there was a lot of interaction on there. But but ultimately yeah. you're seeing that play out, right? Over these last month and a half, this has been the case. So let's start with Curry. 
For those who don't know, reading off Curry's numbers over this stretch, 22 cool. games, 24.4 points per game, but 38% from the floor, 35% yeah. from three. And Dieter, his career, like for his career, if this three-point percentage sticks, it'd be a career low in terms of three-point shooting for him. He has a sub-50% effective field goal percentage yep. over the last couple of weeks. We're talking about the guy who made effective field goal percentage a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, this dude should be at 60 minimum. Like, it's Steph Curry. Um, there is now, it seems to me, and perhaps this is him just giving in to the league he so helped create, there seems to be an over-reliance on the three-point shot. He is shooting more three-pointers than he's ever shot before, um, and that's going to bring down that natural field goal percentage because it's a three, but he's not shooting threes at the same clip. And it, it, the jarring part is you would say, oh, well, that will turn around, but he's missing wide-open threes. I mean, he's missing them. Um, stuff that you knew was going in, stuff that he knew was going in when it left his hand and he would turn around and get the crowd going before it ever hit the net. They're not going in right now. And I can't attest to why that's the case. And part of me just says, eh, eh, this won't matter come March. But if we're still talking about this in February, then it might matter in March. And the Warriors can't win unless Steph Curry is playing at an MVP level. He simply just has not been doing that for the last month. Yep. So that leads me to the jumping off point, kind of diverging from the whole team aspect, which is Curry is still the favorite to an MVP. I've kind of been like pounding the drum. Like, I don't think that should be the case, right? Like in liability factors into it. But to me, this race coinciding with Durant's injury and Steph Curry's play, give me any one of the five guys at the top of the board. And you tell me they win MVP at the end of the year. I'm like, all right, I can see it. Yeah. It was, it it was always going to shake out as just an incredible five man race. I think that um, the Durant injury probably makes it a four man race. Just very difficult to imagine a guy missing that much time. And and, yeah, I think only two guys have ever missed more than 10 games and one MVP. So, uh, and one of them was like Allen Iverson who missed 11. So it's not exactly, it was what uh, Bill Walton missed 22 games when he won it, you know, in the seventies. So it's, yeah, Durant's out. So now it's a four man battle. I think it's very difficult to make the argument that Giannis isn't the MVP, but the Bucks seem to want to make that argument on a fairly nightly basis because when they're on, they are spectacular, right? Like that's yeah. as good of a team when they have their big three, but they just don't have their big three most nights. And they pretty much know that they can do whatever they want. So they're doing an old golden state trick and just sort of coasting. So maybe that's what holds Giannis back. You also just have the fact that it's a narrative award and people don't want to give Giannis a third MVP because that says something about physical greatness versus sort of this Steph Curry underdog nonsense that people still want to hold up. Um, the Jokic thing, I think, it, it is exceptionally viable. Uh, at the same time, Denver's just not that good. So it's like how much stock do we want to give to, to this guy who's playing out of his gourd who's just not on a good team? I mean, you get that calculation. Uh, if Curry figures it out, I, I don't mind him being the favorite, but the odds should be much, much closer. I would have my money on Giannis at this juncture. Um, I don't think LeBron really gets into it at all. Am I missing anybody in that? In that uh, format? Joel Embiid, if he, he after his oh, performance right. against the Magic, yeah. he, he's definitely he's now I think like six to one, depending on where you shop. Well, if if only we could make MVP odds only based off of games against the Orlando Magic, there would be a lot more contenders into the race. Um, Embiid's fantastic. There's no question about it. But I don't think that the Sixers are going to uh, get to the point where you make the argument that, hey, this is a team to truly be reckoned with. And so you're kind of in the same sort of Jokic area where it's just one dude doing awesome stuff. People don't really like centers anyway. So <laughs> it's hard It's hard for me to make the argument for either of the big men, uh, Giannis excluded, because I guess or you know, Giannis, who knows what the hell he is. He's, he's a totally separate entity. Um, it's it's, it's going to be interesting. I think right now I would absolutely lay off putting anything down unless you feel like those odds on Giannis are, are so long that you just got to get in on it today. But it's going to go right down to the wire. I'm pretty sure of it. I will say really quickly that I think you hit on a key yeah. point. MVP is narrative-based. Joel Embiid at least does have one of the best narratives that's working in his favor, which is Ben Simmons screwing the team over and him doing this all on his own. I think a lot of people are going to eat that up, you know? Yeah, I don't know what happens if the, you know, if they go out and make a trade, if they're able to move Simmons, which I'm skeptical of, but it is Mm -hmm. something that is constantly, you know, bubbling under the surface. Like if they do go and get somebody, it doesn't even have to be a true number two. 
if they can just get someone who's like a viable number three and can make up for the fact that Tobias Harris is trying to become the worst contract in the NBA over these last couple of weeks, then that changes that narrative, right? Because now it's, oh, the Sixers are successful. It's because they did this. It's not as of right now because Joel Embiid is just absolutely a man amongst boys. So um, there's something to be said for maybe Jokic just because I don't see any changes happening on Denver's front. They're kind of all in, all in as as is. Um, but again, I, last year you had to give it to them. I don't think people feel great about that still. And so I, it, Giannis probably should have four or five of these things. And uh, <laughs> they just don't want to give it to them. Uh, and they're, not, they're definitely not going to make the exception for Nikola Jokic. Uh, maybe that's a larger commentary, but uh, just on the basis of, I don't think enough people have watched him play to understand yeah. that, hey, this guy's probably the MVP. He's in the conversation, but that's about all they'll do for him at this juncture. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This Mother's Day, join CARE in honoring the resilience of mothers around the world. In Sierra Leone, facing one of the world's highest maternal mortality rates, one nurse named Zainab has not lost a single mother. Supported by CARE's work, Zainab's clinic has become a beacon of hope in her community. Zainab's spirit extends to CARE's work worldwide, aiming to ensure every mother's safety during childbirth. Learn more at care.org slash Mother's Day. All right, last couple of notes on the Warriors' offense, uh, and then uh, we can move <laughs> up from there. But it, it, one thing that has surprised me when you look at them statistically, and this has kind of been the case the last few seasons. In the heyday of Kerr, they were really a, an up-and-down team, actually. They ran quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, why haven't they gotten out in transition more? Like, this has been a thing now over the last three seasons. If you look at least the frequency <laughs> of transition plays in offense, this year they're 16th. Last two years, 24th and 27th. I would think to get some easy buckets, uh, that would be, hey, rebound yeah. and go. That is, that is their ideal circumstance, and they are trying to do it. The issue is when Draymond Green is not on the floor, they have a very hard time getting stops and going. You also have, you know, just the nature of basketball in this day and age. I understand that that's a, a stat relative to everybody else. Other teams are dealing with the same nonsense, but you have a lot of long rebounds in the game today, and most teams have completely sold out uh, on rebounding uh, in the sense of they just don't care anymore. So, um you get a Kevon Looney on the floor and it's harder to push it. Uh, and they kind of need Kevon Looney on the floor. They're not going to Draymond at the five, certainly not now because he's not playing, but they, they've been playing like a Bielitsa at the five and out of order at the five. Um, they're trying to do everything to keep Draymond's legs under him. And I guess you can see how that's worked out to date, but um, yeah, they, they want to push it. They want to push it. it. It is just difficult because Jordan Poole is cool with pushing it, but Jordan Poole in transition is not necessarily a, a good offensive possession. Um, he still does some reckless stuff with the ball. They turn it over way too much. Um, now that is a natural byproduct of having a, a very you know free flowing motion offense and being in transition as much as they want to be, but they're still careless with it. And they turn it over a lot on transition opportunities because 
it's not sort of the same core at their peak as what we saw with the best version of the Warriors where they they just thrived in transition. They were great in chaos. This team is not great in chaos. They're good in chaos, but they're not great in chaos. And so, um, you know, because Poole is so careless with the ball, because Wiggins doesn't really enjoy chaos in any way, shape, or form, he wants to slow down the pace because you're playing Looney so much, because you have Porter and Bielitsa who are just older players and don't want to run like that. Um, the you know the composition of this team is very different than it was back when they were winning titles, and so the whole Warriors argument, which I still think holds true, which is they want to create chaos because they can play better in chaos than the opponent. Well, that margin is much tighter than it was in past years. I think that the addition of Clay Thompson will change that a little bit once Draymond comes into the fold, because those three obviously know what they're doing in that environment, but. Um, they yeah they they have slowed it down a little bit compared to probably where they should be because they're legitimately a bad half court offensive team like as the numbers are currently speaking uh, to like they're a bad half court offensive team so they should be pushing it more those should be the buckets that they're getting they can do it um, but that requires great defense and that requires dudes who actually know how to you know pass the ball when you're running as opposed to getting in the half court set and hoping everything works out so. I would imagine they get to it, but um, it, it has been pretty rough goings up to this point. Yeah, it's a great point on Jordan Poole, too, because, uh, you know, if you look at the transition numbers overall, he he looks like he's a big positive, but most of that comes off the steals, uh, off of live yeah. rebounds. In terms of points added per 100 possessions, it's actually a negative 0.1, and uh, it's yeah. not as great with Jordan Poole out there on the floor. So you brought up Draymond, and that's the biggest topic that I wanted to get to here. How worried should we be about this? Because initially it's calf, then it's tied to a what is it, disc in the back or whatever it is. And yeah. The timetable gets extended. You know, he's yeah. just like all of them, like the core at least. They've got some minutes underneath those legs. Mm-hmm. So how mm-hmm. big of a problem do you think this is going to be? I was initially extremely worried about it because I have spent a lot of time talking to Draymond Green on, you know, a shoot-around bench, and he is – strapped with nine ice bags and you're like this is not how any human should be living all you did was shoot around um so yeah the wear and tear on that and and some of this listen draymond be the first to admit it so i'm not saying anything that that's off basis like draymond carried too much weight for too much of his career and his joints are paying the price for that a little bit now um now he is much slimmer these days uh, uh the weight is probably not as down just because he has added a lot of muscle but you can only do so much to reverse things. So the lower back thing was initially a big concern. I think that it was maybe the injury was maybe described with a little bit too much detail compared to what it is. Uh, Obviously with the kinetic chain, everything is connected in some way. And they probably shared a little bit too much information for the first time in the history of the Golden State Warriors, because anytime you get into back, people freak out as well. They should. Um, just conversations that I've had, no one with the Warriors is terribly concerned about it. Um, there is no panic. Nobody's like, we need to make a trade. Nothing like mm-hmm. nothing like that. And this is a, a, a fidgety bunch. So it, the fact that that's not happening gives me pretty clear guidance that it is not some terrible thing that's going to stretch out forever, um, unlike the James Wiseman situation, which is currently happening. But uh, at the same time, I think that their overall goal is to be overly cautious because they really are. They really do believe that when they're all cooking together um, and, and perhaps this is, you know, faulty confidence, but they, they really do believe that they're the best team in the Western Conference when it's all together. And they're thinking more about March, April, May and June than they currently are about January or February. So I would expect Draymond to be out for quite some time here, um, but they're going and they're going to probably concede some. They're probably going to concede some playoff games at home uh, on the basis of they think that they can get more playoff games if they just keep Draymond on the bench, let this thing get all sorted out to whatever degree it can be, and then really start clicking here post All Star game and see if they can get the vibe back that they had early in the season with with a kind of a new a new composition and they think they can so we'll see really quick you know you mentioned james wiseman uh, fill us in yeah. on this because we saw the headline now what yesterday that uh, steve kerr is starting to express some frustration on what the hell is going on with this kid yeah uh he had a, a secret knee surgery in december nice not not awesome right. anytime 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 they like oh yeah by the way um you know, he had a knee surgery a month ago. 
there's just there's just a front yeah I, I can understand Steve Kerr's frustration with it because he's the one who has to take the questions right, right. like it, it, we're obviously asking people behind the scenes and they're being very protective because well they're a little sensitive towards James Wiseman on the basis of they might have messed that one up in a really big way um, not even comparing them to the other players that were available to the Warriors with the number two pick just in general like there, there's some Oh, I hate to say this out loud, but we're going to do it. There's some Greg Oden vibes happening here. Yeah. And um, it's, you know, this is, this is the, the possibility that always comes into play when you're dealing with a big man, a man that big. Uh, and especially at that time when he came into the league, that athletic. Um, it's a meniscus injury. You know, it was supposed to take a year. The fact that it just hasn't taken the way that, you know, it hasn't cleared up the way that you would think it would for a 20-year-old. Uh, pretty deeply concerning and then you know at the same time they've done a really wonderful job at bringing along Jonathan Kaminga right like they've done a really nice job in finding a way to get him involved in the rotation now last night might have been a good good opportunity for him to play I don't know any minutes in the second half but um they you know they have had to make way for Juan Toscano Anderson well yeah yeah (laughs) Steve Kerr really does believe in the system and uh the system decided to uh to really make a whole event out of that situation. I'm not even sure what Juan Toscano Anderson was good, bad, indifferent. It was, he was everywhere. I mean, the game, the game rode on Juan Toscano Anderson, which tells you where the Warriors are at right now. But, um, you know, they found a way to get Kaminga, you know, 15, 20 minutes and, and they're not even doing anything, but just saying, just be Jonathan Kaminga, just be a super athlete and just go out there and, and, you know, break up some ice on the floor. And that has worked pretty well. Um, so they're doing a good job, I would argue, with their two rookies this year. It's pretty inarguable they didn't do a very good job with, with how they brought along Wiseman last season. And I think that there's just some sensitivity about that because now Wiseman's not part of this. And at this juncture, it's probably more probable than not that he's not going to be part of this. And now you've lost an entire year on top of pretty much a wasted first year for a guy who's supposed to be a franchise cornerstone and at the same time, they're still telling everybody because, again, this is a team that gets high on their own supply. Oh, we won't trade him under any circumstances. He's part of our future core. And it's like there's – it's just got bad news written all over it. I hope I'm wrong because James Wiseman is a really good kid and has a tremendous amount of potential. And I can see a fit for him on this team. They, they can certainly just use a seven-footer coming off the bench to run the rim and protect the rim. Um, he, he would kill in a JaVale McGee role. Yes. but. It's it, 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 there's there's uh, toxicity is not the right word, but there's just a, a general a general state of bad news around. It's just a, a pall around the whole James Wiseman situation. And I don't think it's going to get lifted anytime soon. It's kind of a, a tragic tale. All right, so we'll get you out of here on this then. Big picture, right now, Golden State Warriors, uh, they are the second seed in the Western Conference. But to give you an idea, and this is not a slight toward this team, but to give you an idea, (laughs) of course, of uh, how the Western Conference looks, the Memphis Grizzlies are the three seed right now. So Mm -hmm. it's not like this is an insanely deep and powerful Western Conference. This is wide open at this point. Mm So I'll ask you, you know, by the time we reach the end and the dust settles, you know, I don't even know how to phrase this because it's stupid to ask. Do you think they have a chance? Because obviously they do. But what do you think they ultimately end up in terms of the Western Conference? I think they're I think they're a Western Conference finalist. I think it's an excruciating path to that. I think that they'll have to go through Memphis, uh, probably literally go through Memphis, because I don't think that they'll hold on to number two, just given the way they're playing right now. And I think that will go six or seven because Memphis and their physicality and their just general attitude towards not hardness. I mean, there's just there's something so endearing and so short term about these Memphis Grizzlies that I can't I can't I just love it. I mean, it's like an entire team is taking on the fact that John Morant's athleticism probably won't last 10 years. And so they're just out there just scrapping for everything. And they have like 14 dudes who are basically Kyle Anderson. And it's just fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, they're very reminiscent of kind of Spurs teams from, um, you know, the middle of last decade. And I, I think that that's a six, seven game series easy. And I think Memphis could possibly win it. I think the Warriors would should be favored in that. And I think it comes down to the Suns and the Warriors and it wouldn't shock me at all if the Suns won it, but if the Warriors win that series, and again, we're doing a lot of ifs here, um, 
the Milwaukee Bucks will smoke them in like five or six games. Uh, yeah. So this, I don't think, is a team that's going to win the title, but I think that they will get very close and they will be uh, tantalizing. And I think a lot of people will convince themselves that they will. And then the Milwaukee Bucks will put that to a very swift and uh, generally painless end. So uh, as we saw the other night when the two teams played, there's just, you need five more Draymond Greens to, to figure that out. So I think that it will be a wildly successful season unless your only version of success is winning a championship, in which case they'll give it another run next year and hope that the old guys got some more run in them. Yeah, well, given where they were, uh, what, not even two seasons ago and where we're at now, totally. it's, a, it's a pretty good run here for the Golden State Warriors. All right, again, 100%. Dieter Kurtenbach, uh, who's nice enough to give us a couple of minutes here on the pod, a barrier news group and uh, out in Chicago, who is going to get set to cover the 49ers this weekend. So good luck out there, man. <laughs> Thanks. It's going to be seven degrees and we'll see if I come back. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.